That was by my request this morning, as you'll understand here <clears throat> in just a little bit. But last time we were together, you remember we finished John chapter 3. We're about to enter into John chapter 4 today. And last week we saw what I think is probably the simplest reasons why God's people really don't grow spiritually. I know that, uh, you know, you get guys that you talk to and everybody's got their perception on things and why this and why that. But, uh, you know, the fact is that God, when we and I got saved, He gave us all of the Holy Spirit of God that there was. <clears throat> you were complete in Him. There's no question about that. And we saw last week how that Jesus got the Spirit of God without measure. And you got it, and I got it the day we got saved without measure. And then, you know, the Bible says that he puts all things into our hands at that point in time. We've talked about it many, many times, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, how that God saved us for a purpose. It wasn't just to get us out of going to hell. I mean, I thank God for that, but there was much more to it than that. God needs us to fulfill the work which he started. <clears throat> and salvation comes with an obligation. <clears throat> salvation comes with responsibility. It comes with accountability. And, of course, uh, to finish the work. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he's begun a good work in you and performing another day of Jesus Christ. But we also learned last week that even though he gives us the Spirit of God without measure, <clears throat> when it comes to grace <clears throat> and faith, we get that by measure. And we, we defined what that means last week because that, can be, <clears throat> that can be hard for some people to grasp. It simply means that <clears throat> when you got saved, he just gave us enough of grace and faith on our part to believe what the Bible said about salvation. It's not about, you know, well, I got faith now to move a mountain and I got faith now to go do this or do that. No, 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 no. <clears throat> he gave that to us by measure, just enough for us to find the Lord Jesus Christ as our own personal Savior. And then as we, through the Holy Spirit of God, the Word of God, and we talked about the importance of the New Testament local church as God's structure, we allow God to develop us, bring us to the point <clears throat> where we really become to what the Bible says, a full measure of the statue of Christ, stature of Christ. I didn't, um, I didn't give you this verse last week because I purposely wanted to keep it to today. But, you know, after looking at last week, now you can see how this all works. Philipp, uh, Philipp, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13, 14, and uh, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. And here's what he says. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, here it comes, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Now, we talked about last week how that the Christian world today wants to tell you you got one spiritual gift, and you define that and you develop it, and then, you know, maybe you have some secondary gifts. And we talked about how heretical that is in its concept. 
And now this verse tells us very clearly that this is, this is where it's at. This is our final goal of spiritual growth, growing up under the measure of the statue of Christ. Whatever power Christ had, <coughs> whatever ability he had, <coughs> whatever gifts he had, you have. And uh, verse 14 talks about the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then it says in verse 14, sound doctrine, that you're not blown about by every goofy thing that's out there today that the world and Christianity tries to put forth. And then one of my favorite verses in the Bible, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him, not unto him. You were to grow up into him every day of your life becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ as you develop your grace and your faith and one of these days come to the place to the full measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. You know, in all my years in the ministry, I, it's always amazed me. You know, I've had people in every aspect of my ministry over the, over the years, you know, they, they always come to me and they're always whining and complaining because they don't have anybody to work with. I've had people say, well, you give other people people to disciple. Why won't you give me somebody? Well, I got some news for you. I haven't given somebody to disciple for a long, 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 long time. And that's because when people come into this church, in most cases, the person that brought them in uh, is the one who they asked for them to disciple them. And it's a thing where, you know, I... You know, I've seen that all of my ministry, and it's always the same story. You know, they, they make no real investment in the church. Um, they don't really do anything here, and yet they want to, you know, they, they think they deserve on a silver platter, you know, to, to somebody uh, to work with. And everybody in my ministry, you work with me. And this is the reason why I started the People Ministry and the Bible Institute, it was to take a core of people who really wanted to get on baseline with me in ministry, and, and look what God has done with that. Anybody who works with me in that area, you've got more people than you can deal with. I feel bad sometimes, you know, with the load that you carry. But it's a thing where, you know, that's just the way that it does. Our people ministry was created for just that purpose, that you understand my mindset, I can teach you the finer points of dealing with people, and then get out of the way. God takes you and uses you. And, you know, and when God doesn't use somebody, I don't hate to use the word refuse, but when God won't use somebody, you know, I, I, I've been in this business a long time. It's the same way with churches. When, God, when churches lose the Bible, when they lose God, and they just, they have to make up stuff. They have to now reinvent ministry. Now they have to bring something else in other than the Bible to keep people coming. And the most dangerous position any Christian can be in is to be outside the structure of a New Testament local church because when you have to decide and make up your mind what is your ministry and what isn't instead of the church telling you, you're in trouble. It's just that, it's just that simple. And as you let God through his structure develop, uh, you know, grace and faith uh, to that full measure, and, and you see this in Paul and Timothy's life. Those are two of the greatest examples in the New Testament. You actually get to see both of them from the beginning right up to pretty much the end. Certainly Paul, Timothy carries on after Paul. You don't hear much after, him after the book of Acts, you know, is, is, is closes out. But he obviously continues on. But you get to see the important part. You get to see that they're no different than you and me. 
They both got saved. They both were in a New Testament church, and that church developed them, and that church said when they were ready to do the ministry. They didn't decide for themselves, and that is a dangerous place to find yourself in. And whatever God calls you to do, once you put those things in your life, uh, you know, and, and you begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit, then God will give you the gifts of the Spirit and the power to do whatever job calls for you to do. And the responsibility, and I said this last week, the responsibility of any pastor, of any church, is, and it's the job, it's to, it's to develop a process to develop you. Not leave you flapping in the wind out there, but developing a biblical process that gets you to the full measure of the statue of Christ. And along with that, the job of every Christian is to join a New Testament church and submit yourselves to that process that God can do it because he will simply do it no other way. And it doesn't get any clearer than that. And it doesn't get any simpler than that. Now today... Wow, we're going to enter into John chapter 4. And my, my, what a chapter this is. In this chapter, we find another great study on salvation. And yet in this chapter, there are so many other things to look at. I am not kidding you. This chapter is like when you go to, the, go to your favorite restaurant and you get a loaded baked potato. This is it, man. You got those little brown things on this one. You got sour cream. You got butter. You got cheese. You got you got everything. You got anchovies. You got everything on it. I don't know if you eat anchovies on a baked potato, but it's loaded, man. This chapter is loaded, and yet you know we will we will be here a while. I'm just going to tell you. In fact, this is really you know we saw the story of Nicodemus, and that kind of wet our appetite because that was a great story. Oh, from this point on. You got John chapter 4, you got John chapter 5, John chapter 6, off we go. And this is some of the greatest material that you'll ever get. The Gospel of John is filled with great stories that illustrate the great truths of the Bible. And we are going to take our time and we are going to glean through this and I'm going to hopefully not miss any, any, any point of this that I think is important and maybe even some that I don't think is important just to give you it all. But let's read John chapter 4 verses 1 through 29. I know it's a lot to read but uh, uh, let's go ahead and, and, and start into it. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Shishar, and near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied as he journeyed, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. And he, then saith the woman of Samaria to him, How is that that thou being a Jew askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samarians? 
And the reason for that goes all the way back to Kings and Chronicles where Shennacherib divided them up to, to try to destroy the line. And, you know, that's another study, but that's the reason why they never, they never got along. Thou art, great, uh, art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, and neither come hither to draw. And Jesus said unto her, Go call thy husband and come thither. Uh, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou hast uh, now hast is not thy husband, in that sayest thou truly. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. <laughs> you bet he was. <laughs> our, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what, ye know that she worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he cometh, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak uh, unto thee am he. And, uh, and upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no man said, Why seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? And the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come and come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Father, help us today to, to get into the Word of God, and there's so much here today. Help me to be attentive to every, every point, every, every principle, every precept that, Lord, that the Holy Spirit of God will just uh, illuminate us uh, this morning, illuminate me this morning to be able to lay out. There is so much uh, in this chapter. Help us, Lord, to glean. These are your people. They're good people. They've come here today that they might receive something from the Word of God. And, Lord, I'm not responsible for what they get. You are. I just know that I want to put myself in the place under the blood of Christ that you can use me as a vessel today to give them the truth of your Word. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For sake we ask it. Amen. Now, this is an incredible story one that is used many times to show people their need for salvation. This is why I had Danny sing the song this morning, There is a River, because that song is built around uh, the book of Ezekiel where the water comes out of the tabernacle and, and flows down to the rest of the world in the millennium. But it also deals with the story in John chapter 4. There was a woman, and she thirsted, and she needed salvation. So over the next couple of weeks or months or however long it takes, we're going to unlock all of this. And this is just the beginning of what we're going to see in John. But I wanted to start today 
with the main concept that this story is built around, and I want to define it for you. I think it would be wrong to try to jump into this story and flesh out all the things that are here without you understanding a fundamental concept about this story. And, uh, and I want to I talk to you today out of, about verse 6 about uh, Jacob's well. But in, in, in general, I want to talk to you about wells in the Bible. I think you need to understand how that they are used in the Bible and how that you can take a study of them, which would be an incredible study. It's a great study. Now, when you study wells in the Bible. Now, we do know this for sure. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 tells us that the Word of God is likened to water. We know that. The Bible says, by washing of regeneration, by the Word of God. We know that. Water in the Bible is a picture of the Word of God. Back in Exodus, you know, when they were out in the wilderness and they didn't have anything to drink, a picture of the world system, you know, and there was nothing to quench their thirst. Jesus smoked the rock. That rock's a type of Christ. What came out? Water. The second time it happened, some 15 years later, uh, they're again in a place where there's no water, and Christ is told to speak to the rock, and he disobeys when he smites it, but yet water comes out. That is a picture. That is a picture of Christ dying on the cross, being the rock of God that is smitten in the first one, and then brings forth the word of God to us. In the second one, Moses messed up. He should have spoke to the rock because that one is a picture of, of after Christ is crucified in your life and my life. When you need water, you just come and speak to the rock, your prayer life. So we, we know that water is a picture of the Word of God. And now, then we hear in the story, we want to talk about a well. Now, a well will represent the depth of a man's relationship with the Word of God. There's some things I want you to get out of this today. A well will represent the depth of a man's relationship with the Word of God. You see in verse 11 that a well is deep. And it's got pure natural water that has been filtered up through the ground, the groundwater, and purified by the rocks. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5, we are told that the heart of man is like deep water. And yet we're also told in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11, that the mouth of a righteous man is a well of life. And we also know the Bible says that once you have the Word of God in your heart and it becomes the water uh, of life, the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A true Christian that has the true water in the, and has a depth of the well of the water in his life, he, he solves problems. They don't cause problems. They don't gossip. They don't backbite. They don't cause all kinds of issues. Because the well in them is deep and the water is pure, then what comes out of their mouth is the purity of truth that only helps somebody. And yet, in that many cases, you find a lot of God's people who are polluted wells. A saved man or a saved woman should be a deep well of water to people who need, who are thirsty in this world. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 25 says this, As cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news. Good news, that's the gospel, see? So is good news, the gospel from a far country. That's heaven. 
The water you and I have, if you're saved this morning, came out of the, came out of the rock of God and it needs to be a deep well in your life that you give others a drink because of the fact that it's something that you have. It's the good news that people need, uh, and it did come from a far country. It came from heaven. And as last week, when you join a church and submit to its authority through the Word of God, then you have through that church, it will develop your faith and your grace And while you're doing all of that, you're basically, in our story today, you're digging a well. You're digging a well. And uh, the deeper you go, the sweeter the water. It's just that simple. The depth of God's people. Last week, we talked out of Hebrews chapter 5, where Paul said, for what time you ought to be teachers. Somebody, again, has to teach you the fundamentals of the Bible. And he's basically saying there's some of God's people who have been saved long enough that they should be taking somebody else and teaching them the Word of God. But they're not. They don't get their water out of the rock. Most God's people don't really have a well. You know how you exist? You exist on drinking bottled water. You get it someplace else. Just like you go to you know, a Hy-Vee or you go to Walmart or you go to Sam's Club and you store up on bottled water that they tell you is 100% pure and better than comes out of your drinking fountain, may or may not be true. You know what? You're, you're, you're satisfied to, to drink that. And God's people are the same way. They, they don't want to take the time to dig a well. It takes a lot of work to dig a well. It takes time to dig a well. But they want to do something for God. They want God to use them so they foolishly don't have any depth to them in the Word of God. No well. And they exist on bottled water. And I'm just telling you. The deeper you go in that book, I can tell you for a fact, the sweeter it gets. The depth of God's people. And yet... The Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, that some people, unsaved and saved people, they're wells without water. He tells us that. They're wells without water. These people are carried with a tempest. Everything in their life has a problem. They can't do anything without an issue. They can't, they can't do anything without some problem popping up. Their whole life is about drama of problems that... They just can't, and they can't ever figure it out. And the reason is you're a well without water. And he says, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. Now, that's talking about an unsaved person. There's no question about that. But if you think there are God's people out there, that everything in their life, there's a conflict, there's a tempest, that every circumstance or situation, something bad's got to come out of it, they're wells without water. It's just that simple. And, uh, you know, their well is a mud puddle. There, there's no purity to it. Now, before we tackle Jacob's well in John chapter 4, I'd like to lay out for you how the Bible takes the idea of a well and uses it throughout the Bible. I think you need to know this. I'm just not the kind of guy who just wants to jump into John 4 and mesmerize you with all the great things that are in there. If you don't understand why things are the way they are, if you don't understand why things are happening the way they are, I'm going to tell you right now, then you're not going to get anything out of John chapter 4. 
You've got to get it, and before we tackle it, you need to understand. Now, the first thing I want to look at, and these are just simple little things, and some of you know these, but allow me to put them into a working model for you. Now, the first one, very quickly, is in Genesis chapter 24. And you don't have to turn back there because to save time, I'm not going to read all these lengthy passages. I'm just going to talk about it and, you know, and give you uh, a basic understanding of, of how it works here. That's all we really need to do today. But in Genesis chapter 24, uh, if you don't know this or not, here's the story. You have Abraham, and he has a son, Isaac. And he wants a bride for his son. So he sends his eldest servant, whose name is Eleazar, out to find a bride for his son. And when you come through that story in that chapter, it's a great story. And he's looking for, you know, he has some parameters that he wants, he's looking for. He has some things that he, he, he that has some, pre, some requirements that she has to follow. And you know what? And then he finds who we all know and love, Rebecca. And he brings her back to Isaac, and obviously uh, they get married and live happily uh, ever after. But once you get past that historical story, which is absolutely true, we see how the Bible enlightens itself through the different applications that we can make through the typology. Because now we see that Abraham is a type of God the Father. We now see that that Isaac is a type of Christ. We now see Eleazar as the type of the Holy Spirit of God. And lo and behold, when we see Rebekah, we find that Rebekah is not a Jew. She's a Gentile. So she pictures the Gentile. And what you have here in a doctrinal sense is a picture of Christ through the Holy Spirit of God looking for a bride for his son sending out the Holy Spirit of God to find people who will come and be married to this man. And it's a picture of, of you and me. You're Rebecca. And it was a time in your life when the Holy Spirit of God came to you and said to you, will you go with this man? And if you're saved here this morning, you're saved because you simply said, yes, I will. It's a great story. It's a great story. Now, there's an inspirational side to this. And the inspirational side will be within this story. Keep in mind now, you've got God the Father sending out the Holy Spirit of God to find a, son, a bride for his son. And within that story, there are 19 principles that Eleazar looks for. 19 of them. There were 19 things that had to be checked off his list for this Gentile bride to be the bride for Isaac. And when we look at that, we find for you and for me, and there's a book on this back there. I think there's a book on this back there in the bookstore. We've taught it many, many times. We find a great study for everybody here of the 19 principles you want to use to find a spouse, whether it's a husband or a wife. You're going to find that these 19 principles are what you what you go by. And it's a thing where it, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's how you find a wife or a husband. And uh, when you come down through this, I, I don't, I'm not going to go through all the 19 principles today, but when you come down through this, guess where he finds her? He finds her at the well. 
He didn't find her down at the uh, tool shed down here in the street. He didn't find her on christianswithshingles.com. He didn't find her at some other watering hole, some nightclub, some, some place that they, all the young people hang out. He found her at the Jacob's Well. He found her right there at the well where the water was she. Not only, and not only did he find her at the well, but the next principle you want to find, she's good at working with the water that she gets out of the well. And you need to understand that when you look for a prospective husband or a wife, you've got to find them at the well. You don't find them in the back seat of a car. You don't find them, uh, you know, in, in, in somebody's house. You don't even find them in church. You find them at the well. And you sit there, and you know what? When you look at that story, he, didn't, he just didn't see the first lady that came up and run over to her at the well. He watched her. He wanted to see what she could do uh, with the animals that she had, and then she, he wanted to see what, what else she would do for, for his animals. And this woman not only knows where the well is, she knows how to get the water out of the well and do something with it. That's what you're looking for. If God's people would just follow that and leave their emotions out of it and put the Word of God and the principles in their world, there wouldn't be any more Christians to get a divorce. There wouldn't be any more bad marriages. There wouldn't be any more breakups and issues and problems. But it has to start somewhere. And this is why a well is such an incredible picture. It's an incredible picture. Now, I say that, and I, I you know, I got to qualify what I say because, you know, I'm talking about in a perfect world, you know, and we've got a lot of young kids here that are single that someday you're going to get married. So I have a responsibility, I feel, to not only help you, but to show you these things. So, and I know many of you have spoken to me about it, and you follow this. Now, at the same time, uh, you can't preach a message like this and not find people who who had never heard this, never knew this, and they got into a marriage or they got into a relationship, and now you know it's like, well, boy, if I'd have known this, you know, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, I understand that. I'm just going to tell you this. I'm not going to get into all the ramifications, but I'm going to tell you this: there's always something that you can do. God, even when we you know, through ignorance, get into a bad situation. And sometimes it, it's through ignorance. You didn't know. I get that. Sometimes you didn't know and you just did it anyhow. I get that. But even in that case, God never leaves you in a lurch. I don't care what you get into. I don't care what bad situation you find yourself in. I'm going to tell you right now, God has a pathway out of it. may not always be the easiest route, but it's a route. Now, so that you got that one. Well, what a picture of a well that is. Then, our second one, uh, and you're going to, I just love stories of wells in the Bible. Our second one, and the second thing I want you to understand, uh, and then let me say this. I need to say this. And listen very carefully, because this is very important. 
you have to dig your own well. In this church, I can give you the tools. I can show you how to use the tools. And depending on where you're at, you can either get a shovel or you can get a, a backhoe. But you have to, you have to, you have to, you have to dig it yourself. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15 says, Drink water out of thine own cisterns, and running water out of thine own well. And that's a great concept, and the key word there is your own. You know, a cistern is, is a stone container, which is hewn out of rock, like a, not like a pot, but a container. And uh, it's, it's a place that you can store water that you get from the well. In other words, you can't spiritually survive drinking out of other people's wells. It may work out for a short time once you get saved. And let's face it, when you get saved, you don't have much grace. You got it by measure. You don't have much faith. So you got to, and you don't know how to dig a well. So until we teach you how to do that, you have to basically drink out of somebody else's well. Discipleship one, discipleship two, bringing you through in a place along through here where you actually, you know, you actually learn how to do that yourself. And it's a thing where you have to dig your own well, and then in time you have to learn to store the water that you got out of that well. That's your Bible knowledge. Psalms 119, verse 11. Thy word, what? Have I hidden mine heart? What? That I may not sin against thee. You dig it out of the well, but then you've got to store it up someplace in a cistern, but it has to be your well, your own. You dig your own well, and then you store up the principles of what God has given you. Fresh water every day. Stored up water that when drought comes. And boy, the drought will come. This is one of the greatest stories anywhere in the Bible. And I like it. It's kind of like a one-two punch. Last week, we saw the aspect of what it takes for you to grow spiritually. And now this week, we see about a well. So we move into John chapter 4. Fresh water you get out of it every day, but then you have to store it up. And then, of course, you saw in John chapter 4, not only do you store it up for when you have the drought in your own life, but you have to store it up so you can give it to others. Now, the next story I want you to see that will help you grasp the aspect and the concept of a well We'll just be a couple of chapters over in Genesis. Let's go to Genesis chapter 26. Now, Genesis chapter 26 is a story about Isaac. And God, he's grown up now, and God, he has a family, and God's sending him and his family into a strange land. He's told by God in verse 1 and 2 to get down into the land of the Philistines. Now, people wonder sometimes when God told them to be separate from the other nations, why sometimes God sends them down into it. Well, it's a picture. And this particular picture here is for about me and my family, you and your family. Being in the world, but not part of this world, and God sending a family to a lost world. And that's what you got 
as a picture here. And throughout this story, he digs a number of wells. And boy, this is where we want to look at some things now. Now, here's the storyline. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Here's the storyline. Verses 1 through 11. And I didn't read this either, just to save some time. I'll bring to break the chapter down. You can listen to this again, or you can get the outline break down here and go back and do it yourself. Dig your own well. But here's the storyline. In verses 1 through 11, we are told that a famine hits the land, and God sends him and his family into the land of the Philistines. And what follows in verse 12, 13, and 14 is God blessing him and taking care of him in the land of the Philistines. And the land of the Philistines for us is going to be a picture of the world system, just so you know that. Now, he blesses him to the point, and this is so important. You have got to see this, these things. And there's, there's things I want you to see here. He blesses him to the point in the land of the Philistines, which is a picture of the world, He blesses him to the point that the Bible says in verse 14 that the Philistines envied him. Now, let me just hold up here for a moment and just just try to show you some things. You know, that's what God wants in your life and my life. You and I are supposed to have the answers to life's issues. You and I are supposed to have the cold water for a thirsty soul. And wherever you work, wherever you go, the world, the Philistines, should look at your life, should look at your family, should look at your your, your whole being as a Christian. And they're, they're empty. You're supposed to be full. They're empty. You're supposed to have everything that God has for you. The Bible already said that he put it all into your hand. You're supposed to have that. And just like the Philistines looked at Isaac and his family and all the blessings of God that God did for them and envied him, that's what the world ought to want what you have as a child of God. Your life should be so blessed. Your life should be so full. Your life should be so unbelievable with God's blessings in it that the lost world who has nothing, who is empty, who come to the place that they, they're like that woman at the well. They envy what you have. And you know what then happens? The Holy Spirit of God begins to get involved. And you get a chance to tell them what God has done for you. You know, the thing that makes me so upset with Christians today and I have very little respect for them because I see a lot of Christians running around will tell everybody out there who's lost. And I guess this is okay. It isn't okay for me, but I guess it's better than, than nothing. But they're running around telling everybody out there that's lost what God will do for them. You know, that's never what you want to say, not according to this. You know why you always, you always tell people what God will do for them? Because you could never tell them what God has done for you. Because your family, your life, your whatever, is no different than the world's. They're not going to envy your family. They're not going to envy what you have with God. They're not going to envy. Uh, uh, they're, they're, they're not. And that's what God will use. 
He wants you the blessings in your life of somebody who has got everything put together as well as you can. He wants to showcase you, your family, your marriage. He wants to showcase you. But the people out there that don't have it get envious. And then the Holy Spirit of God will bring them to you. You have an opportunity not to tell them what God will do for them. But you'll tell them what God did for you. Make it a personal thing. Oh, I'll tell you. What a joke today. This is why God's people's lives, for the most part, are no different than the world's. God's people get divorced. They lose their kids. That all goes to hell in a handbag just like the world does. Now, the next thing I want you to see here as they go down to this land. Now, stay with me here. I may sidetrack a few minutes to give you a, a personal, a practical thing, but just stay with our story. Now, when they get down into this land, verse 15, we find out that there is no wells there. Now, here's the important part. There were wells there. But we're told in verse 15 that the Philistines have stopped up the wells. Now, that's a great picture of the world cutting off the Word of God, see? The world system today. The world system hates the Word of God. We buy our Bibles from Bearish Precious Seed in Milford, Ohio. I knew Dr. Keene way back in the day. I preached in that church several times and, uh, and, and, and been with him uh, many times. He's a good guy. He's retired now and another guy has taken it over. But Dr. Keene was a great preacher. Dr. Keene was a, was a, was a good guy. And uh, him and I were good friends. And he started the Bearing Precious Seed ministry many, many, many years ago. And the reason why he did it is because he believed, and rightly so, that it was, it was, the, it was the New Testament local church's responsibility to publish the Word of God, not the world system. And so they, if you've ever been to their facility, which we've been there many times, and I took group, a group there a couple of times just to see that massive facility uh, that uh, that they print out Bibles and you know in, in in so many different languages and they're all King James Bibles. And I remember going there and one time and I heard him preach a message out of First Samuel chapter thirteen about Saul. And it was one of the greatest messages I ever heard and I've used it myself many many times. And that where Saul, who is a picture of a pastor or religious leader, king of Israel. What he did was is that he put all of the blacksmiths out of business in Israel. And the blacksmiths made swords for which Israel could defend themselves and fight. And what he did was is he put all the blacksmiths out of business and then he turned the making of swords over to the Philistines. And you know how that turned out. The Philistines attacked them and when they attacked them, they had no swords to fight with. And what a picture that is, is what Christianity has done, is turning the Word of God over to people like Zondervan, World, Thomas Nelson, all the worldly publishers who care nothing about the Word of God. In fact, I'm going to tell you right now, you go to a Christian bookstore and by any American publisher, you cannot buy a real King James Bible. Now, you may get one that says King James Version, King James Edition, King James, but you will never, from one of the American publishing companies, you will never be able to buy 
a complete King James 1611 the way that you have it there in your hands with the Bibles that we got from Milford. It was a very subtle thing, but they took the Word of God right out of God's people. Hands. And that's why they, 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 they just, they, 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 they couldn't get them. And this is the picture that you have here, and this is why the only Bibles we use, the only Bibles we sell, comes out of a local New Testament church. Why? Because I believe the local New Testament church is God's program for everything. And there were people who would say to that, amen, brother. Yeah, but you won't put it in your own life, see? You'll say, oh, that's the job of the church. Well, the job of the church is for you to split yourself to it to become everything God wants you to be. We like to pick and choose. We like to pick and choose. And I'm telling you, this here is a picture in verse 15 of what the world system it does. Stopped up the well. Now, so Isaac and his family and his servants, they go down into a valley of gear. And there they dig more wells. And the Bible says in verse 18 and 19, they now hit a spring of water in the well which they are digging. And now the next thing I want you to see here, and this is just like in John chapter 4, verse 14 with the woman at the well. Now, finding of this spring well of water, which is now a really a picture of the Word of God. The world tried to block it, keep in mind, stop it up, but they just moved on and they dug a well, and wow, they found now a well of springing water. But I want you to notice in that passage, is verses 20 and 22, that it brought conflict with the other herdsmen. And I want to tell you that's a picture of what you have today with the conflict between the Bible colleges and the great Bible theologian minds out there and a the common ordinary man who really has the Word of God. A conflict has arisen today of where is your Bible? This thing is incredible. Well, finally... They move on a little bit out and they find a spot for him and his family and they dig another well. And the Bible's very clear in verses 23 to 24 to tell you with this well, there is no conflict. Now, (laughs) children, get what I'm about to say. Please get it. You young couples, get this. There will always be conflict with the world and the Laodicean church over the Word of God. Amen? Amen. But when they dug this well for his family, there is no conflict. You know why? Because you may have conflict with the world over the Word of God, but we should never have conflict within our own family over the Word of God. No amen on that one. That's an incredible story. And all I've done is just break it down. And we only getting started yet, man. Are you kidding me? 
When he dug all these wells after the Philistines stopped it up, the other herdsmen said, no, nah, this is our well. No, it's my well. No, it's my well. Just what you find today. No, the Greek and the Hebrew is the way to get the Bible. No, no, no. The New Testament church is custom into the Bible. Same thing. There's always going to be a conflict with those people out there. But there should never be a conflict in your own family with the Word of God. Let me show you why. It only gets better from here. Or should I say deeper? Now, this is the great story, Genesis chapter 26, of what it takes when you dig a well in this story to build your family and how you do it. Remember, God only does his work, whether it be the Old Testament or the New Testament, and we've harped on this a lot. He only does it through families. That was his mode of operation. And I, I just, over and over again, I cannot tell you the importance of young couples to know this. Uh, let's, let's follow what God is doing here. Now we got Isaac. Isaac has a son. Yes, he has two sons, but forget Esau. He has Jacob. From Jacob comes the 12 tribes. From the 12 tribes come the nation of Israel. And those 12 tribes in the Old Testament, when they get out of Egypt and go into the promised land or to take the word of God in the Old Testament sense to the world through families. Because we are told in John chapter 4, what we read this morning in verse 22, what? Salvation is of the Jews. See? And this shows us in the New Testament, and I've preached on this many, many times. This is not new to you, but it's found within our story here. The importance of families staying true to the Word of God through the digging of wells from generation to generation. And there's three great principles in this chapter. I mean, there's a bunch of principles, but the first three anyhow. The first three great principles in this chapter for you to follow in understanding how God will work through your family and if you're truly following and digging the well, is there's three things. As I read this chapter this week, and I never really saw these things before. I was focusing on the next three things, but I, they just popped out. And I saw that when you read this chapter, there were three things that you just can't miss out of your family. One of them was Isaac and his family was providentially blessed by God. God took care of them even though they were in the land of the Philistines. God took care of them, even though they were in a godless pagan place. And I'm telling you something. When you follow what the Word of God says, you young couples, and yet, you know, you young couples, when, when you follow what the Word of God says, God is going to bless you, and God is going to take care of you. And I'm just going to tell you, I don't know of any other blessing that is greater than the blessing in your life for you young couples that down the line someplace, and I watch you with your kids. I watch what you do. I watch how you, you dads, what you do, and what your moms do. And I'm telling you, the, for the most part, you're right on track with it. Now, you're going to have some parents who are never going to get it. I mean, they just never are. And, I, and I, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> But I, I, can't, I can't fix that. I can't fix what is not mine to fix. But I'm telling you right now 
you're going to see the greatest blessing you could ever have in your family is 10, 15 years from now, your kids standing alongside of you in the ministry, whatever you're doing, they're doing it with you. It doesn't get any better than that. A family as a ministry team, blessed by God. Tell me something that's better than that when it comes to what God is trying to do. And I say that knowing that some of you have struggled. I've watched some of you that are single parents. And it's hard enough to do it when you've got a husband and wife into it. It's really tough when you have the, you know, the, the single parent mindset. And I'll just say this. Some, I've seen some women and guys that were married, and they still were single parents as far as it came to the Word of God because one or the other didn't do one want to do what's right with it. I have all the respect in the world for you. You know why? Because I've watched you. I've watched you double down here of what you had to do. I've watched you get everything out of your life and out of your world, and you know that you got your back up against the wall, and you are going to make sure your girls or your boys or whatever the case may be, they're going to make it. And I I, I look at you and I, I marvel because I know you got an uphill battle all the way. But what I'm telling you is, is that God will bless you for that. And I'm all going to say this. I say it again. I know that some parents find themselves that late in life and they, they um, you know, they, they got, came into church after the kids were teenagers or whatever. And, you know, they, they were already in, into some issues and some problems and some of those things. I get all of that. And I'm not preaching this to, to, to castigate you or make you feel ashamed or bad. I'm telling you this. This is what the Bible says. But I am telling you, no matter where you find yourself, there's something you can do. God has a plan for whatever situation you find yourself in. It may not be the easiest route. Do you think it's easy for a single parent to raise their kids without a husband or a husband that's a deadbeat that doesn't care about the things of God? you think that's easy? They do it. You see, sometimes our pride gets involved and we don't want to admit what the real problem is. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because it's easier to blame it on somebody else, isn't it? Sure it is. Sure it is. Second thing. Not only was he providentially blessed by God, but he was providentially provided for by God. God gave him everything he needed. You see, once you get the blessings of God in your life as a parent, the providing of God in your life just comes natural. And then he starts to give you everything that you need. In a Christian sense, we could talk about not only the physical things, the job that you have, or if you lost your job, how he covered this or he covered that. And he, part of it. I hear stories of that all the time, how God takes care, provides for you. You know why? Because the Bible says, Philippians 4, 19, my God shall supply all of your needs. That's what he does. But this is the value of having a New Testament local church that believes the Bible in a system in place to help you because you don't ever have to deal with issues by yourself anymore unless you want to. I, I tell people to come in with problems and, and, and that have issues, and I say, you know, and, and their issues are because they've made bad choices. Okay? Hey, have we not all made bad choices? Sure we have. And I always tell them this. Look, you got where you're at because of the bad choices you've made. And that's okay, because we've all made them. Now, where you're going to go from here depends on you stop making bad choices. So in this church, 
with what we have to help you and the tools we can give you, you never have to make a bad choice ever the rest of your life because you have everybody here to help you unless you just want to. And I say that full knowing that there's some that just want to. <laughs> I'm sorry. So not only did they, were they providentially blessed to God, they were providentially provided for by God. And then the third thing that popped out this week is they were providentially, Isaac and his family were preserved by God. God took care of them in the midst of being in with the Philistines. The tragedy today of broken families. The tragedy today of Christian families that it, it just, it, it, uh, it's terrible. And there was never, if there was ever a time when families needed to stay close to the Word of God and together, because the family is under attack today. This country is out to destroy your children. I, I told you Thursday night. They're putting legislation in place that they're going to completely wipe out of your children going to school about any history of their roots, of who they are, where they came from. No revolutionary war, no civil war. They're going to erase. This is kind of like, uh, what was that movie that Schwarzenegger was in? Where uh, Total Recall. Total Recall. Thank you very much. This is going to be a total recall on your kids. They're going to do a lobotomy on them, education-wise. And they're going to take from them every sense of history. And the only sense of roots they're going to have is they're going to get from you or not get from you. They're going to try to destroy every aspect of authority. They're going to destroy every aspect of taking away everything that you have. No history. They're going to take away the aspect of gender. I told you Thursday night there's a new, te- a new York school that now has put into its curriculum that they're going to ban three words in school. One of them is going to be Christmas, which I'm okay on that one. But the other two, mother and father. Because now in the world system, like everything else, a mother and father are two different things, so it's racist. I got a report last week. I told him Thursday night this, that there's a group up there in Washington State someplace or Oregon that they're meeting up there to decide uh, because there's certain trees that are racist. <laughs> uh, obviously, an evergreen that is evergreen versus a tree that dies in the winter, that's racist, see? I mean, where does this end? Now, it may be okay because we laugh at it, and I get it because it's stupid, but it's coming right down to your kids. And nothing will preserve your children, your family, like the water out of a well. I'm telling you. All built around the wells that Isaac dug. And for you and for me in building your family for ministry, you need to see three more things here. And this is what I really wanted to talk about. I just found the other stuff here as I was coming through it. Let's look at verse 25 in our study here in chapter Genesis chapter 26. And here it is. Three things 
three things that Isaac did that got the blessing of God, the provision of God, and the preserving of God. Let's read it. Verse 25. And he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And then Isaac's servants digged a well. Now we know that water is now a picture of the Word of God, a well, a picture of your depth with the Word of God. And yet it said in verse 19, and I, I have to touch on this, a well of spring water. And of course, the word spring water is always, uh, to me, always been, uh, the study of words in the Bible and how they're used has always been a, an amazing thing for me. Here it is, spring water. Spring water. Because the water of the Word of God came forth when Jesus Christ was crucified at the Passover in spring. So it's your spring water. And then he talks about the fact that spring water springs forth. You see, once that spring water gets into you, it ought to spring forth to everybody else. You don't have to pay extra for that. I'm just throwing that in. So he's a spring of water, John chapter 4. Now, the three areas that I want to focus on here in the time we have left, the next two hours, the time I want to talk about here is, number one, it says that Isaac built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord. And the first element you need to build into your family will be the altar. The altar in your family's life. That will be the fixed point that all in your family understand that you are God's family. You don't just demand that, you teach them that. You teach them that by example, by example. You teach them that when they're young by being Christ in their life till they can understand Christ in their life. The Christian lifestyle uh, to them, they need to understand, is not an option. You train them from birth, just like the nation of Israel was. It becomes a spiritual culture, just like the nation of Israel in the Old Testament was a physical culture. It's based on, first of all, our relationship with God. And then you build it into your family. Last week, I showed you the complete breakdown of Christian parenting. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it goes back to what I said. Christian kids today uh, are no different than the world's kids. And it's a thing where, you know, I, 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 I talked to about a different example. I was a family years ago that had some boys, and those boys, uh, those boys never got much Bible down, but they understood one verse in Genesis chapter 1, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. And they had illegitimate kid after illegitimate kid. And it all went the same way. They never got married. And, of course, after a while, the woman recognized what a jerk he was, and then they went to court, and they lost the baby. Over and over and over and over again. It's a disaster. I've seen Christian, quote unquote, kids do drugs and post their pictures on Facebook bragging about the drugs that they do. I've seen them come to the place where they, they, they get involved in alcohol and liquor. They get involved in everything. And their parents just think it's okay. And I'm telling you, there is no shame today, there's no regrets, there's no responsibility, there's no biblical action. Hey, I've dealt with kids, boys or girls, getting in trouble almost my whole ministry. 
And when something like that happens, it is a tragedy. It's nothing to post on Facebook, oh, I'm going to be a grandma or granddaddy, praise the Lord, look how good God is. No, 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 no. Before you get the invitations, whether it's pink or blue, there's three or four strong biblical processes that you have to work through here. Because that's something the world does. That's not something that Christians should do. And, you know, I, you know, I've had people all the time, they'll say, well, you know what, look at that kid. No, 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 don't look at the kid. Look at the parent. Illegitimate children will simply be the product of illegitimate parenting. You can write that down. And in every case, without exception, when the kids are lost, when the family's fractured, when it becomes an absolute mess, and I say that again, I understand some of you came in late and you're doing everything you know how to do, so we're good. But I'm telling you, in every case, without exception, when the kids are lost to the world, the number one issue, no altar, no commitment. No commitment that the kids understanding what the family is all about and that living with the world is not an option. Now, I'm going to show you something. And if you don't get anything else out of my message today, you better get this one. I'm going to show you something out of this story. One of the greatest biblical principles you'll ever get for your children and for your family. Now, look at verse 17. Look where he, Isaac, builded this altar He's told to get up out of Beersheba and when he builds it, this altar in time where he winds up, it's not called this yet, but in time it becomes known as Bethel. Bethel means the house of bread. And Isaac has a son. His son's name is Jacob. And Jacob gets out of fellowship with God. He's, he, he gets into some problems. You see it in Genesis chapter 28. You see it in Genesis chapter 35. You see it in a lot of other places too. But you know what? Here's the key. Jacob, every time he gets out of fellowship and God deals with him and he knows he's wrong, you know where he goes? Back to Bethel. Amen. He goes back to the altar and the foundation that his dad built in his life. Right where his father built the altar. Now listen to me. Your kids are not always going to do what's right. You as parents aren't always going to do what's right. It's not about perfect kids and perfect parenting. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to do dumb things. And they will be challenged by the world to get out of fellowship. And there will be times that they do. I'm not standing up here and saying, if you do this, your kid will never have any problems. Your kid is under attack and they're going to have a problem. What they need is to be able to get back to Bethel. The altar that you built.
They built an altar unto the Lord and gave them a fixed spot. And when Jacob got out of fellowship, he had a point of reference to get back to God. He had a foundation that was established by his mom and his dad or his father anyhow when they built an altar. No altar, dad, no fixed point. They're not coming back. And there will be God's people, moms and dads will watch their kids go through that terrible process and lose them and they'll actually scratch their heads and wonder what happened. No altar. No back to Bethel. I'll tell you something else. Illegitimate relationships with God will always bring about illegitimate results with God. Now, the second thing that he does in verse 25, first he builds an altar, and then it says, then he pitched his tent there. You see, once he built the altar, he pitched his tent, that's his family, and they never moved off of that altar. It's a picture of building your house, your family on the absolute principles of the Word of God based on the altar and staying consistent with it. Fix your position on the Bible and the Bible principles to your family and then to them you create with them a safe, loving, Bible-based, tender display of God's love to them in every way that the world can never touch them. Because when they do, they'll always go back to Bethel. Now, I like this. After the altar, he pitched his tent there at the altar. Give his family a fixed position, perspective, who they are as God's family and the ministry they have together. Mom and dad setting the example for the children. Then the third thing that he did, he built an altar, he pitched his tent there, and then he digged a well, a well of water for his family dug down deep out of the rock, a well of spring water. You see, you dig the well, your children drink from it, and in time you teach them how to dig their own. But it all starts with an altar. It starts with a fixed point and a spiritual well by which they can get the water of life from. And the hand of God will, through His love and faithfulness to your commitment to His Word, do the three things that we talked about a little bit earlier. You see, He will bless your family verse 13, he will provide for your family, verse 18, and he will preserve your family, verse 24. See, God has a plan of ministry for your family and you need these three things in your family to fend off the attack that's coming because the devil knows it much better than we do. Now, my last piece of advice to you will be found in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15 again. I didn't finish all of the verse last time, so I will now. Drink water out of thine own cistern and running water out of thine own well. Then let thy fountain be blessed or dispersed abroad 
and rivers of water in the streets. You see, John, Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, uh, what you've got here is what Jesus told the woman in John chapter 4, we're going to get into in the weeks to come. He said, the water I give to you to drink is going to spring into well water, living water, and then what does she do? She goes and tells somebody else about what he did. You see, what starts out with your family at your well, and when they develop their own well and faith and grace, based on the water and the altar. Then it goes to the ends of the earth. The living water starts with your well at home that you dig, the well that you teach them to dig, and then the well of water, river of water, runs into the streets, and everybody finds out about it. Your family forming the witness of God's good news for generations to come, all because of a well. But I, I leave you with this. Dig your wells before you get thirsty. And dig your well before drought comes to your family. Now, I know there's always something you can do, but the longer you wait, the harder it gets. And the story of wells will be one of the most important studies you're ever going to take anywhere in the Bible. And this is why I wanted to do it first here before we ever get into the meat of John chapter 4. You need to understand what this well really is a picture of. Oh, I could just give you the nice little salvation message like you get from every little dingbat out there that preaches it. But oh, there's much more to it than that. Wells in the Bible be one of the greatest personal studies you could ever take in the Bible. And as we, you know, develop John chapter 4 over the next weeks, you will see the absolute importance of digging a well for yourself and then for your family. Before we ever get into that great story that Danny sang about this morning, I want you to see how God looks at wells in the Bible. Now we know that if you're going to find a husband and wife, find them at the well. Now we know that if you're going to go anywhere in life as a Christian, you're going to have to dig your own well, carve out your own cistern. You're going to have to get water out of the well, and then you're going to have to store it up when the drought comes in your life and in the life of your family. And then you're going to have to realize that you're going to have to do three things for your family. You're going to have to come to the point where you build an altar and then you call upon the name of the Lord. Two, you pitch your tent there and you dig a well. And after that happens, you will have the blessings of God, you'll have the providing of God, and you'll have the preservation of God in your life and the life of your family for generations to come. Well, we'll hold up there. Let's have a word of prayer. Hope that meant something to you today. I know that some of you will take it and do something with it. Others won't even do anything with it, but that's your choice too.